This is the Low Tox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 233. Uh, I am talking with author Emily Ehlers today. Uh, Hope is a Verb is her new book. Uh, the strapline is Six Steps to Radical Optimism When the World Seems Broken. And I know there are many of you guys out there who would absolutely love this book. I highly recommend it. It is just coming out this week. Very, very exciting. Uh, and so timely that I um, reached out to my publisher because I knew Jane was publishing this book coming up and that it coincided with the end of our beautiful few weeks looking at how we can better serve our planet, being guided by incredible practitioners, scientists, farmers and the like over the course of the last few weeks to look into what we might be able to do as our next step. And Emily just has this gift. Uh, you might know her from social media, Eco with Em, uh, at helping us distill complex, sometimes overwhelming things and really creating a sense of hope in our lives through our actions. There's hope that's kind of like the whole wishful thinking thing. And then there's hope as a verb. And she really has done such a wonderful job with this book to help us feel like um, there's always something we can do. And even if we have an hour or two of overwhelm, panic, uh, sadness, um, distress, that we can always come back after a few deep breaths, cup of tea, chat with a friend, whatever it is that works for you in those moments and think, okay, what is my verb? What is my action here to reinstill hope and to feel like I am part of whatever solution it is to whatever problem it is uh, that has overwhelmed you in the first place? Uh, we look at values, we look at story, we look at uh, overwhelm, and we both talk about our own personal journeys in some of the biggest lessons we've had to always feel like even though you have those downs, it's impossible to avoid them in life. There is always hope and uh, we can always come back to that. So I hope you enjoyed today's conversation about this uh, topic because it is one that I know can be so helpful uh, while we're all trying to navigate some of the more complex parts of the world, uh, climate change, uh, health discussion in public health, whatever it is you might be grappling with in your own corner. I know today will bring you a huge amount of comfort. So I'm going to hook into that conversation in just a little minute. But this month, all through the month of May, I wanted to just highlight a few of my favorite Lotox uh, brands. Some are here, some are overseas. It's a little mix of both. Uh, and with some of them, we even have some fantastic offers for you. So I have a little shout out here to Block Blue Light uh, and can give you 15% off store-wide this week only. So you have to act if you need any blue blocking anything. Uh, I highly recommend uh, the store. Daniel and his team do an incredible job at providing 
really what I think are the best. It's beyond the fad, beyond all the kind of celebrities and influencers promoting certain products. This is just really darn good blue blocking gear. Um, my favorite, 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 this is like my number one thing that I recommend to people are the amber lights that you can put on in the evening, not the fully red ones because I know some people, especially living in urban areas, we've got neighbours all around. Your neighbours might start suspecting something untoward going on at your place with red lights. But these amber ones give just this beautiful golden hue in the evenings. It's so relaxing. They're really energy efficient. There is no mercury in these light globes, unlike a lot of the eco light globes out of there, out there. Uh, and with the um, with the relaxing vibe they give, you don't have that blue light. So in the evening, if you're chilling out, you're having a dinner party, you're reading a book, uh, your nervous system is relaxing. Your parasympathetic nervous system is coming online and it's helping you increase that melatonin and go sleepy buys, no problems. So your code is GOLOTOX, 15% off store-wide, blockbluelight.com.au. I've got all the details on the website, on the show notes, as well as helpful links in the bio on Instagram to um, get you to these offers. Uh, another shout-out I wanted to give was to a relatively new online Lotox retailer, Jivita. Uh, Kirsty and Catherine are two beautiful souls, both with uh, complex health journeys in the background, uh, both with uh, incredible uh, qualifications to support people in different ways in this space and have been using those quals for many years now. Uh, Kirsty is actually Czech certified uh, and uh, I know a lot of you guys have benefited from uh, Czech therapies in the past. Uh, and Catherine's daughter was a celiac. And so that was kind of how she came into the journey of wondering what was in our food and starting to wake up, uh, similar to my gluten story, which kicked everything off for me. Uh, so the, they have a wonderful range of low-tox goodies. There is absolutely no greenwashing on this website. It is the real deal. Uh, you don't have to be confused. You know for sure. Uh, and you can get anything from... Uh, mushroom extracts to Walida products to uh, Dr. Bronner products to some beautiful Australian products. I know um, I've tried a gorgeous toothpaste that comes in a jar um, that's made by the Love Beauty Foods guys um, from Javita and it's beautiful organic mint toothpaste. Uh, so there's no plastic at all. It's in like a little glass jar with a tin top completely recyclable um, or reusable. It's a, actually a really great size for a one or two serve vinaigrette for a salad if you're going for a picnic, just as a complete tangent aside. Um, and uh, I, I really love what they've done. You can get um, the Symbiotica supplements, which are beautiful liposomal supplements. Their liposomal activated charcoal is incredibly effective uh, for anyone who is on a detoxification program. Of course, speak to your practitioner first. Um, but they're very, very high quality liposomes. Um, gosh, anything. Think makeup. Think uh, the changing habits, uh, cleaning products, food products, broth powders, uh, bone broth concentrates, you name it, um, it's there. Uh, so you have 10% off uh, with your code LOTOX and the at symbol Javita. Uh, and their website is javita.com.au. So that's J-I-V-I-T-A 
www.thepowerofpositivity.com.au. So that again is for a 10% discount code. Um, And then, of course, another shout out to one of our global pioneers in the low-tox space, Dr. Bronner's. You have 15% off the entire range, excludes bulk sizes, uh, with the code GOLOWTOX. Um, Those codes are this week only. And if you needed my hot tip on Dr. Bronner's, nothing can beat a good quality bar soap. I find the Bronner's bar soaps last a really, really long time. And of course, you're avoiding any plastic whatsoever when you get a bar soap. Uh, and I know it can be a shift, um, but I think it is a wonderful, I mean, got to be one of the simplest ways we can reduce plastics in our day-to-day use, ditching bath gels and things. So I'm a big fan of their bar soap, um, but also a big fan of shouting out that they use post-consumer plastics in their production uh, and packaging. And uh, so then if you really need a great gel cleaner, things for like rubbing out stains in clothes before you pop them in the wash or um, a soaker, I I washed my son's uh, tennis shoes because he played on clay on the weekend and they came up absolutely beautiful with a little soft brush of the Bronner's Sal Suds and then um, soaking for half an hour and then uh, rinsing and drying off they were good as new. So Sal Suds is one of my favorite products. It's actually a really great toilet cleaner, um, really great for cleaning grout on tiles as well. I'm a huge fan um, of that product. So I want to just give a couple of things a shout out for anyone who's new to low-tox living and needed a bit of an idea on what you might be able to get. And that concludes my three great low-tox business shout outs for this week. I hope you enjoy those codes, the products, and uh, make the most of them. All the details are on the show notes, of course, just in case you're walking right now and you think, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember. So head to lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast and click on today's show for all the details. So now I'm just going to hook straight into this wonderful conversation about how you can make hope a verb when it comes to serving our planet. Enjoy. Hello, Em. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I am great. I am really looking forward to this talk and I'm very excited about your book. Tell us what it's called. I know I told everybody in the intro like five seconds ago, but I want you to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. It's um, my book's called Hope is a Verb, Six Steps to Radical Optimism When the World Seems Broken. Mm -hmm. Emphasis on seems, not is. (laughs) Yes. Um, And so how do we... How do we get to a place where we feel so horrified by the world? What what's what are the things at play that land us in a place where we think, oh my god, everything's just too broken and I can't do a thing? Well, I think it'd be very hard not to feel mm. that way. Uh, I definitely, even though I've written literally a book on hope, I, I struggle a lot with this. When I've noticed myself in conversations with with family or friends or just anyone. Um, either with the same or different points of view. Both of them can be kind of equally inflaming in terms of feeling uh, concerned about where the planet is. Uh, And we've got the media, we've got politics, and everything is increasingly acrimonious and tribal and, you know, it's it's hard. It it feels like everybody is so outraged and it's hard not to get caught up with it, Uh, especially when our beliefs and our security are all being challenged. Yeah, that's huge. It it, Mm. it really triggers that kind of lizard brain 
about a lot. I've been reading this parenting book, uh, No Drama Discipline, and it talks about talking to children and just saying you can either uh, appeal to their receptive part of their brain, their rational part, the neocortex, or you can um, appeal to the reactive part, which is the lizard brain. Mm. You can't do both at the same time. And I think we're constantly being triggered right now with um, our lizard brains. <laughs> so, we are, yeah. exactly. And it, the funny thing is, is everyone who's telling everyone that the other people are the ones who are scared are also scared. Everyone's just scared. We just don't see um, that this desperate desire for certainty and safety lies within the very notion of fear itself because there is nothing certain yeah. or safe. Yeah, exactly. And that's I think that's such an important thing. I've really kind of changed the way I communicate with people since that realisation on things, just kind of going everyone is terrified right now. Uh, I, I even thought about it in terms of vaccinations without even getting into the the who's right or wrong. Kind of going everybody's fighting with each other and you go the people who are pro-vaccinations are scared for their health the people that are anti-vaccinations are scared for their health yeah same fear if we can meet at the table and mm. discuss it in a way where we actually communicate about things rather than just shutting each other down then but you know we need to be kind of calmer to be able to do that to get into our reactive uh, our receptive brains we do which is one of the other things right it's this fight flight freeze state that we get put in by all of this information that makes yeah, exactly. us unable to be calm, much more likely to be outraged, and so the spiral continues. Yeah, exactly. Mm. So let's um, let's just put that massive fire out with two words, radical optimism. Yeah. Uh, are you a radical optimist yourself by nature or, like, born again or anything? Was it a remedy of your own? Yeah, I think a bit of both. I think mm -hmm. uh, coming into the world, and this is probably true of most people, I was very much idealistic. Um, I can even see a few years ago how idealistic I was and I just I wanted the silver bullet solution. Uh, then, I mean, the book starts with me getting completely overwhelmed about overfishing and then traumatised and really lulled into a sense of apathy because I just... Well, not apathy, maybe nihilism. I kind of just went, what's the point, and gave up. And so I kind of took a break from everything I was doing. I was blogging and all that sort of stuff at the time. Um, but it was so out of sync with who I am as a person and who I, who, what I value that that tension of me doing nothing started to hurt more. Um, and so I kind of trained myself to have a bit more resilience, be a bit more open-minded and not focus on just this one solution and getting things perfect because it's just not possible. <laughs> mm. And what do you value, Em? Like when you were doing that soul searching, what was what kept floating to the top that was showing you um, how you were acting was different to what you value? Um, I value integrity and integrity, like the word of it makes me just think of like a bald eagle and like it's, it's very moralistic. But I just mean alignment, uh, being who I am. And I've always, I think it's funny, environmentalism is my knee-jerk reaction that I want to say is a value, but I don't, I've changed my mind on that. I think environmentalism is a need because we're animals, we are part of nature, you know. So we want to protect our home. Exactly. So I think that 
environmentalism is basically just in Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So then in terms of my personal values, um, creativity is a really big one and I wasn't using any of mine. I wasn't problem solving. I wasn't uh, creating art or writing about about these things. Um, benevolence, I guess, which is I, I just I was getting so angry at people and I wasn't being kind-hearted or open or listening to their ideas or opinions on things. So I just felt myself going down this this pathway that was very narrow um and I just I I'm hopeful and and I also value joy and my fear for the planet was extinguishing my joy in it mm. it's kind of like the soap the the soap thing the harder you squeeze it the quicker it goes out it squeezes out your hands so I just wanted to get back in there <laughs> I love it so good and so oh. what if you had to define radical optimism what would you say that it is I think it's it's so one of the when we were going through the the um, subheading we were kind of going oh should we have it as subtitle or should we have it as just optimism but it's like no that that's not optimism can be very hollow and I think mm. radical optimism is showing up even when things seem completely dire because I, I mean the the times that we most need hope are when situations seem the most hopeless that's that's why we have hope you know yeah. I think it's acknowledging our pain and acknowledging our fear, acknowledging other people's pain and fear, meeting them when they are and just getting the job done, just doing what you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you pointed out that um, optimism on its own can be a little thin, a little hollow. Uh, it's kind of like the word hope can if we don't define it as a verb, right? Yeah, exactly. That's mm. the thing. There's, you can just have wishful wishful hope where you just kind of hope someone else is going to do something about it or you can kind of roll up your sleeves and get in there. And that doing that, using hope as a verb, begets more hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you see and results also- from it when you use it as a verb and so that's a motivating thing unto itself. Exactly. I, I used to, we used to walk, um, me and my kids go for walks all the time and we used to see all the plastic pollution or just any pollution and we'd get so upset about it until we started picking it up. And the more we pick it up, the better we feel about it because we kind of go, well, that's not there anymore, you know. And people, we've got a lovely local kind of country area now and people notice us doing it and we've now started noticing that they in turn are doing it because hope is an emotion as well as a verb and it's catching, you know. Mm, it is. It is contagious. I totally agree. That's my kind of infection, hope. <laughs> <laughs> Let's create a global hope <laughs> pandemic. Let's do that. <laughs> um, so uh Let's talk about the the hope is a verb concept um, a little more because I think this is a really important one for people to shift their um, their knight in shining armor narrative into oh my gosh I can be the hero of this story and that's yeah. what I love about your book it is just a simple simple like literally one morning read to make yeah. you feel like you can be the hero in this story as a collective of many many heroes. And so at what point did you actually uh, have the light bulb moment of this hope is a verb phrase? Like surely it was like, oh, my gosh, hold on. <laughs> I think I've got to do this. 
I mean, it, it is that that moment that I had um, with the overfishing where I just kind of, I, I felt how awful it felt to try to ignore it, you know, um, and getting back into it took a lot of small changes. But as I kept making them, it kept just growing and growing and growing. And I have so many people approaching me saying, I just don't know where to start. And it's kind of like, well, just start somewhere. And, and you will you will you will end up somewhere bigger and better and it just kind of it just keeps growing so I think it's just been in my practice and seeing other people kind of going oh hey um because I mainly focus on, on environmentalism but this is more about just hope as a theme um people saying oh I saw you do this say so I saw you take your own container um and get your oats at the at the refill store um, and then people going, so I tried that and now I'm going to try this, you know, like I saw people just, I saw it in my own life and then I saw people building and building and building on their own habits rather than this all or nothing approach, which it just can burn out very quickly. Yeah, it absolutely can. And I think uh, we have to share the imperfections along with the perfection um, of uh, what people <laughs> see as the ideal, because it just reminds everybody that we're all just doing our best. Sometimes it's not going to feel like enough, but the fact that we're actually trying is actually enough because all it takes is lots of people trying to move yeah. things along. It's it's so funny. In one of my, um, this I, I was rereading an article I wrote for Peppermint Magazine a while ago and we were talking about hope in it and I said, I spoke about my little teacup of hope and that's been sort of a, a thought that always comes up in my mind as well, it just kind of going, if I was on a tiny boat, um, and the boat was on a tiny wooden boat. The boat was on fire, and all I had was a teacup. I'm going to use the teacup to do whatever I can to put the fire out. And especially mm. if there are people in there that I love, or just any any people. Yeah, <laughs> like we can just sit. We can do nothing. <laughs> yeah, not just but, the people you love. All the people. <laughs> yeah, all the people. Animals, everything. <laughs> I don't love you, so no. <laughs> Love a good faux pas. You don't make the cut. I'm sorry. I'm not going to use my teacup on you. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) We've got to have a laugh, right? You have to. But, I mean, that is kind of where we're at. We can Mm. sit there and we can do nothing, but either way we're moving towards the future or we can just do what we can and, and try. Yeah. And you've mentioned overfishing a couple of times. So this is obviously something that's really uh, one of your passions. And of course, thanks to Seaspiracy is a very um, now topic. And look, I think he's a very effective documentary filmmaker. Unfortunately, not always the whole story. There are always good people doing great things. Uh, And there is such a thing as regenerative Fishing and aquaculture, yeah. but uh, but I still think more important than not to bring these stories to light, especially around bogus foundations and that kind of stuff, because that's really what's holding us back in many of these areas. Um, can you talk us through, given this is such a passion for you and probably a lot of people are asking questions right now as well on this topic, what your tiny steps look like in that area? Um, okay, so firstly, I'll just have to say I have not seen Seaspiracy. I've seen oh, that's okay. Lots of comments about it, so mm. thing. But yeah, this this started with another documentary. Um, <laughs> there are many. Yep, absolutely. 
with that one, I'm, that's always a shifting one for me. Mm. I, in, the, in the first place, I cut all of it out, mm-hmm. uh, all seafood. I just kind of went, okay, hang on, that is a real sort of, um, that really butts up against my values in a way that I can't reconcile. So, I don't Especially actually- when you're working out the whole story, right? I remember doing the same with meat. Um, when uh, I learned about, you know, factory farming and deforestation in the Amazon, I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm just yep. not going to eat anything uh, yeah. animal product-based. And I didn't for a little while while I learned more about the whole story. Exactly. And I, mm. and I do think there is that, <laughs> that reaction of, okay, I'm mm. going to become a breatharian. I'm just not going to eat. And yeah. I do think it feeds into a lot of orthorexia and all that sort of thing. It can. You're absolutely right. It's a very, it's, it's so, such a convoluted subject. Mm. Um, so, I mean, with fish, I still don't eat any, but I guess what would be more relevant would be um, thinking of me with, with meat. I, this is a constant to and fro for me, and especially in terms of hope, because ethically I don't want to harm animals. But as we've spoken about, I mean, your new book will do a brilliant job of this. We do inadvertently anyway, no matter what we eat. So I kind of looked at the information, I processed the trauma that I felt from it because I think we need to address the fact that this is traumatic. Some of the things we find systems that we're complicit in and that we didn't know that we were, and it it really does rock us. Mm. Um, Well, we've evolved so far beyond our animalistic brains Um, and sometimes to our detriment if you think of the cycle of life um, in a more, um, like, animalistic way uh universal way um we're so uh i think we find death so painful the idea that a creature might be hurt um by our hand either directly or indirectly um that it sometimes overshadows our judgment of other things like perhaps you know eating proteins or fats yeah and I remember actually interviewing someone last year who was, who's an um, animal spirit guide, an incredible woman. Um, and I'm going to, of course, oh no, Sage Magdalene, Sage Magdalene is her name for anyone who wants to listen. Uh, highly recommend this, this show. Uh, she was incredible. And she was talking about respect for animals the whole way through. And so I asked her, you know, so like, uh, do you therefore um, eat a vegan diet? Is that something you're particularly passionate about? And she said, no. And I was really shocked because I totally picked (laughs) her for a complete ban on all things animal product. (laughs) But she really challenged my assumption on that by saying, uh, we are of the earth, everything is of the earth and everything is nourished by the earth uh, and the, all the creatures on it. There's not a creature that it is alive, that is alive that eats without another creature dying, whether they are a vegetarian creature or vegan creature or not. There's, there are so many incidental effects. So all I can do is nourish my body, give thanks and do everything I can in return to respect that fellow creature's life in the way that I live. And I was like, oh, okay. And it deepened my own understanding of why maybe I'm okay with um, eating animal products myself. Was I just not quite tapped into that spiritual component of the cycle of life yet? Um, It was really, I just find the whole thing really interesting, including the fact that I completely understand people who 
don't touch animal products at all because they just course, can't yeah. do it. Yeah. However, this is where it kind of it get, becomes more complex again is when you kind of, so I, I listened to your episode with Joe Whitten mm. um, and we're about to start the GAPS um, protocol, which is why. Ah, um, all the best to you. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting. So yeah. lots of healthy fats and lots of animal proteins. So yeah. I've had to reconcile it and just know that I can do the best that I can do. I'm not going to be um, outrageous with how much meat I consume constantly or I'm just going to make sure it's sourced correctly, you know, yeah. just doing every single thing I can without ma- burning myself out to the point where I can't do further good in the world. Mm. And as you said, that appreciation, and I think there's been this kind of, I'm not religious, but I've heard so many people talking at the moment about how, we used to sit down and say grace and religion played such an important part sure of, did. of our culture, you know, and we've lost a lot of that. So I think, you know, that mindfulness and and really, yeah, actually, as you say, the respect and the reverence for what you're consuming. Absolutely. I mean, look at Ramadan and how yeah. Muslims honour that once a year for their month. And, uh, you know, I know I have Jewish friends who those Friday night dinners are just so sacred yeah. um, in, and giving thanks is such a huge part of Shabbat. And it's really, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think um, when we lose uh, uh, religion, that is just one of the biggest benefits that we yeah. unfortunately let slide, that gratitude practice, which yeah. is I think why spirituality is so important, right? Because yeah. you can be spiritual and not be religious and then bring those wonderful things back into your life. Yeah, that's the thing. I think it's just creating those rituals of, uh, I mean, gratitude is everybody, it's like the whole drink drink two litres of water sort of thing of spirituality. <laughs> but gratitude is is a very important thing. And if you can ritualise that yeah. and make yeah. sure it's a forceful um, part of your life, then I think, yeah, that's always that's always going to feel better. Hundred mm, percent. So, um, talk me through because I often think people become paralysed by bad news. You alluded to that right at the start on your own journey. Uh, you illustrate really nicely with some super practical steps in your book about what we can actually do when we're in those moments. It's like a, I always think of that 80s, it's time to stop, collaborate and listen. We <laughs> <laughs> just like to stop and we actually need to take some steps to calm yeah. down, regroup and make yeah. a little action plan. Um, yeah. So how do we do that? Can you share a little snippet of what you write in the book? Yeah, sure. And that that's... Um... I kind of, the, the way I envis- envisioned the book uh, from the get-go was as the thing that I needed in that period of my life and as fate would have it, then the pandemic happened. So I got to test it out again. <laughs> so it was literally, it's that kind of thing where you, you've become so overwhelmed, you, uh, you can't even hear yourself really in the situation. You're just scared. Um and you're kind of in that survival instinct. And so what I wanted it to do was to break down kind of in six steps how to kind of stop and rebuild yourself and rebuild your resilience. Um, and it's something that I use repeatedly and I will use again because I, I will lose hope again, even if it's just for an hour. Um, and I wanted it to be the sort of book that can sit on a coffee table and someone can just pick it up no matter where they're, fi- where they're at and 
find some sort of motivation to kind of get them to start again. So, yeah, the, ch the first chapter is just kind of about understanding our fear and not trying to, I mean, we're, we're humans, we're kind of, we're creatures of comfort, we, we don't want pain, we're going to do everything we can to avoid it, but to a certain point, we need to be okay with it. Um, if we're going to move forward. And then some of the other steps are kind of changing your story and, and making sure that, because stories are just attitudes, making sure that we've got the right attitude walking forward because otherwise we're not going to get anywhere if <laughs> we just think we're doomed. Um, and then just starting, actually starting rather than being paralysed by all the decisions, building community, all these things, they kind of, the steps, um, they are chronological, even though you can pick them up from anywhere in the book, but just kind of things that build upon each other um, as your resilience grows. But obviously the first thing is bringing you back up to that base level if you've got to a kind of burnout um, point of despair, which mm. so many people get to. And so I, Yeah, and I think a lot of people who wake up and then get gung-ho and perhaps, and I know a lot of people in my own community have done this, where you join an action group or uh, some sort of community group on the ground doing uh, advocacy work, um, activist work. I remember this happened to me when we were first trying to get the plastic bag banned by Randwick Council. And this was like 10, 12 years ago. And I was there with the Transition Bondi guys uh, and um, myself and Tim Silverwood, an uh, environmentalist, environmental scientist rather, um, and environmentalist actually, uh, stood and gave our pitches and I gave the pitch on endocrine health in sea life and um, the endocrine disruptive aspects of plastics and he gave the um, the plastic garbage um, pollution uh, chat and then uh, we didn't get it through and we had worked so hard to just get there and it was just such a like, oh, you're kidding, you know, and the, the burn when you said burnout, it just took me straight back there because we'd really like um, Lance, the guy who organised it all, uh, had really just worked so hard to get us in front of the, the council and it's we terrible. failed. We and had the same. I did mm. the same. In Fremantle, I was part of the Plastic Free Frio and we got it through to a point where we were like, yes, we're home and hosed, and then it just got thrown out and mm. just like, oh, the, the devastation is hard to regroup from. It is, yeah, it is, but we do. And, um, and I think that's why I love your book and I often talk about um, 10 deep breaths and back to your circle of influence yeah. and, uh, and as I was reading through your book I was thinking oh my gosh this is absolutely in the same spirit of that just that idea that okay so that didn't work but there's, yeah. it doesn't mean things can't be done and let's just go back to our most immediate circle of influence where we always know we can make a difference and start there. And also I think, so this, may, I know that you mentioned um, in our communication before the change of story chapter, mm. this is why, I, I mean, I, I love stories as well. I just, I love focusing on them, but I always think of the hero's journey. And when we come up against these, these uh, blocks, we tend to think that that's the beginning and the end of the story and we mm. forget that. Oh, my gosh. Part of a very big cycle. And, I mean, the way I literally illustrated in the book is that the, the girl who comes up against this big towering wall and then when you pan out it's a circle and she's just got to go over the wall figure out how to do that and then there'll be another one coming yeah so, like it never it never ends and if 
if we keep sitting there thinking like, okay, cool, I'm going to arrive there and the work is done, then we're just going to be constantly disappointed. Mm. So I think taking that kind of zoom out lens is an important, important shift in your, in your mindset. Yeah, big time. And I'm so glad you mentioned the change the story chapter because that was my favourite chapter. Oh. <laughs> um, so let's talk about what stories we're telling ourselves or what stories we're hearing and how they end up forming like little onion layers to become the story. Oh, it's it's so funny. In a, in a culture like ours where we're dominated by like this Hollywood machine, I think people estimate the stories they tell themselves even though it, we're clearly obsessed with them um and gosh we've got so many stories to pick from um at the moment I mean you could look at the, you could look at the climate change one we're all doomed apocalypse Armageddon it's all done that's a very scary story and it's it's paralyzing but I think the most pervasive story that I hear constantly nowadays is humans are crap that's the story we're telling ourselves and when you look at the seven types of stories, which I've got a little sketch in there about what the seven types of stories are, that's a tragedy. And tragedies only end one way. And if we're, if we're telling ourselves that humans are crap, therefore we ourselves are crap, the, the, what's the impetus there for us to change or to try or to do anything, you know? Um, so I think, I think the story, we've got to shift the story that we, where instead of looking at everything that we're going to lose, looking at everything that we can now save, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, I was mentoring a group of um, business students in the low-tox space recently and uh, we were talking about communications at, because mm. it's something I'm super passionate about, as are you, you know, um, this idea that you can't lead people to look at a fire that needs putting out without yeah. bringing the tools to put out the fire. Yeah. Um, oh, that's so cool. I like it's that. It's responsible communications when there's a problem in the world. And yeah. I, it's kind of my own, like, um, flavour on something I got taught by my very first boss in a corporate job many, many years ago in cosmetics, um, which was I just came to her with a big whinge one day. I was just so pissed off about something. I can't even remember what it was. But she said, look, there will always be things that you'll be upset by at work. There will always be things that come up that create problems and challenges. But I will tell you this once, do not come to me with any of these things unless you've tabled a couple of solutions along with them. And it was just the best flipping advice you could ever give a 22-year-old um, to take into my life because I have never let go of that ever. I used to, I learned that when I was waitressing, funnily enough, probably same, similar age. Mm. And I used to just kind of go, oh, if I just go to someone with the problem, then they're going to think I'm a really, like, I'm, I'm taking notice of everything. Yes. Like, no. Actually, you're a whinger. <laughs> yeah, because thinking is effort. Thinking is hard. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's really funny. And it, it's true. I think. I have been working on this like illustration for Instagram for so long that I just can't quite finish right now. But I think of Jane Goodall. Mm -hmm. um, in have you heard of the story with her and the coffee and the chimps? Oh my gosh! Yes, tell it, oh, tell it. Yeah. So she uh, bushmeat was a huge problem. The people killing the chimps in Gombe, where she was, and. I just I always think about how easy it would have been when you see all these firebrand people 
um, how easy it would have been to take footage of that and come back to our, to Western cultures that maybe don't struggle with that level of abject poverty or a different form of it anyway, um, how easy it would have been to demonise them, you know, like getting a, a cute, cuddly chimp and showing it showing it in a, in a very brutal uh, way that it's being dealt with there. Um, but instead she, she wondered why, you know, she actually approached them and listened and looked and didn't just kind of say good, bad, black, white, evil, good, you know. And she went to them. They were suffering pro- poverty. They needed an industry that they didn't have, hence they were turning to this bushmeat. So she then realised that Gombe was the perfect growing conditions for coffee and that coffee turned out to be a repellent for chimps. Like who would have, <laughs> you can't write this stuff. And so she, they, they, she created an entire industry for them while also saving the chimps from, from going near there where there was a risk, you know? Yeah. Like, I think it's, that is just. It's yeah. so powerful, that story, because it illustrates so perfectly that desperate people do desperate things. Yeah. And it, everyone just wants food, shelter, to know their kids are going to be safe, love and a purpose. Exactly. And if you can give people that, if they don't have it for themselves already, uh, then lo and behold, they might not keep doing the bad things. It, yeah, there's social conditioning, there's circumstances, all sorts of things, and to sit over here and point over there is um, I think there needs to be a lot more responsibility with the messaging that we put out there. Mm. Um, I think there can be, I mean, going back to this seaspiracy thing, there can be, if that is your entrance in and it shocks you enough so you wake up to something, that's great, but then to go further in and mm. to do the critical thinking and to to look for the solutions rather than just looking to blame is absolutely important yeah i remember learning uh about the hideous um state of prawn farming in vietnam uh and the like the antibiotics that are like kind of illegal in the states and then they're showing up in prawn meat um, that humans are eating so we're sort of developing antibiotic resistance um, uh, because they need to clean the farms because they're cesspools of bacteria uh, because of the way they're farmed. And you just think, oh, my gosh, okay, well, so I'm just never going to eat prawns again. But then you learn <laughs> about these incredible seaweed farms and prawn farms that are together where there's this incredible symbiotic relationship between the two things for food, for cleansing, purification, the antibiotics aren't needed. Um, Pia Weinberg was on the show, an incredible aquaculturist that we have here in Australia. Um, uh, and, uh, and it makes you kind of go, oh, okay. So I totally agree with you. Let the shock value of certain documentaries be your in and then actually explore the topic fully um, rather than taking that to be your your 100% fully formed belief. Exactly. And I also think um, if the shock factor is so strong in you that you don't want to consume prawns again, like I, I love the fact that there are the sustainable, sustainable options in so many areas now, but also kind of going, wow, like, there are people who don't have an option of their protein choice yeah. in these sort of, especially with prawns in like Southeast Asian regions, yeah. just kind of going, okay, so I don't need to eat that. I can eat local 
sources or I can eat this or, you know, it's it's that thing of seeing what piece of the puzzle you are in, in it all and, and mm. figuring out what to do with yours. And not judging someone 20,000 miles away whose story you don't know. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so true. <Always> handy. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a question I want to ask you uh, before we wrap up is... Um, the return to, or the road rather, to your own personal empowerment, um, our own personal magic, and this being one of the keys to actually really making a difference um, and doing that inner work to get to know ourselves, to get to know, therefore, how we can make the best impact. Um, Is this something you discovered from your own journey yourself or was it I mean, I know you do a lot of writing for other people as well. Was it through research you kind of started to connect the dots? Yeah, I think, I mean, I've always been interested in personal development. I've got a very overactive brain. I mean, I've, I've got ADHD, so that, that kind of contributes to that. But uh, so I've always been interested in it, but I've also always been fascinated in what motivates people and, and again, on that communication bent, how to communicate how to connect because I've always been fascinated by the fact that like it's great to preach to the choir because it's a choir but but if we're going to change we need to talk to to people that we disagree with um we need to talk to people that we've been told we're fundamentally against like big corporations they need to get on board it's like I loved listening to you talking to um is it Tim Brown from Lego yes yeah 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 yeah. um because that's important as well so and I think then I just kind of, I saw the fact that we need everyone. I, I thought about a design team and you kind of go, you've got the designer, but then in a design studio, you've got the account, these different elements. I know that sounds really weird, but uh, hold on. we need the vet M- activist or we need the person who does funny little doodles on Instagram. Wait one sec. Your, the connection just went really dodgy. So, um, oh, okay. so can you do the go from we need? I think of a design team. Ooh, it just yeah. went fun. No, it just went okay, funny cool. again. So hold I on, think hold a, on, hold a design on. studio. Oh, just went funny again. Can we turn our videos off just so like that might help? Yeah, sure. Sure, I'll do that. And then do the design thing again. Yes, that's much better. Uh, We do, we need everybody. In terms of, I always thought about it like a graphic design studio, you know, we need the designers, but we also need the accountants, we need the admin, we need all these sort of people coming to the table with their particular skills that you wouldn't sort of necessarily associate with graphic design. And I think I, I like that idea in terms of personality types and making a difference, you know, like, there are people who are so passionate and not outraged, although they are, but they're, they're passionate <laughs> and they want to fire people up. And then there's me and I kind of want to be a safe space for people coming into the movement. Um, and I think that's all that that is that thing on inner work, on figuring out what you value and what you bring to the table and then just kind of melding them into not trying to fit into a box, just speaking about things you're passionate about in an authentic voice. Yeah. Mm. So important. And so someone who's out there right now thinking, 
Um, I don't even know what my voice is. I don't even know how I might start to make a difference. What would you give them as their first baby steps to uh, exploring that a little bit more? Uh, I, I, I think that, again, we're trying to, a lot of us are uh, not liking the discomfort we're feeling and we're trying to kind of get out of that feeling of pain because that's just a natural thing to do. Um, I would probably ask for people to tune into it you know, and to say, okay, so what is this here to tell me? Because I always think of then like the, the first law of thermodynamics, you know, energy cannot be destroyed or created. It can only be moved. So you've got to figure out what, what, what is that energy that you're feeling? Where, where is it going to be the fuel to take you? So I would say to pay attention to the pain that you're feeling and what brings it up and start there. And just just start doing anything. Start with the smallest thing. So if you're passionate about plastic, start with the single-use plastics and then just keep keep going further and get curious about where it's going to take you um, because that's that's also another thing with the, the overwhelm. And I think about, um, have you heard the term wicked problems? Yeah. Oh, um, in terms of like social or environmental or economic problems, there's this term wicked problems and wicked problems are gigantic and nebulous. There's no, um, what are the characteristics? There's, there's no template for them. So they change. So kind of like poverty, poverty um, in Southeast Asia would look different to poverty in Western Australia, you know. Um, so there's no template for how they look. There's generally no resolution for them. And every wicked problem is a symptom of another wicked problem. So, I mean, that poverty and environment could be very easy links to make there. And when I, I was in uni, when I first heard about that, doing it, doing sustainability, and I found it so upsetting. And then I flipped it and went, actually, oh, my gosh, everything is interconnected. So that's not upsetting. That's actually wonderful because if all the problems are interconnected, so too can the solutions be. So I not overwhelming yourself by going, oh, well, if I care about the environment, then I'm not caring about people. It's looking at how you can layer them all together. Mm, absolutely. Which is, I think, what I found so satisfying in my food research to try and write a damn book about food and how it helps the planet. That was tough. Um, but, um, but everything is so connected. So like the problem of Overprocessed food is our disconnection to nature, is our uh, building up cities and no longer having that, con- you know, all the things are connected. Food deserts and then the, the, mm-hmm. economic, uh, the, the food miles associated and the plastic packaging and the health. and Yep, yeah, the whole shebang, literally I, all connected. I really connect to um, Leah Thomas's theory on the intersectional environmentalism. That's yeah. It was so nice to see a framework where you kind of go, okay, so it's about humans and the planet and the animals. Wow. Mm. Yeah, and it really is. And I think connection, if we lead with that, um, we see some really strong overlaps that just keep popping up again and again where we can lend our energy. Absolutely. And it also it also changes this, the again, the tribalistic sort of um, win-lose to mm-hmm. how can we make it win-win? Yeah. And if not win-win, just how, how can we make it a tie? <laughs> <laughs> how can we make it kind? Yeah, yeah, just yeah. meet in that middle path there. Yeah, you use that that word kindness um, and your own need or, or channeling or, or rather realising that you had lost kindness in your equation um, mm. 
and uh, that was therefore going against your values. And I loved that because I think that's really common because with anger often comes disconnection as well. And so we can actually forget that we are trying to influence fellow humans. Um, And that's not going to work if we repel them by being outraged at them all the time. Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing. I mean, I just, I think if we all start looking at people with values in a values led way going, okay, this person does value, like everybody values family and connection and love and everybody's scared so therefore it's kind of coming out in different ways but if we can sit down at the table together even if it's on opposite sides and connect at the value space that's where the conversation will start Mm, I love that gosh I just feel so much better and more hopeful and uh more ready to take even more action after (laughs) spending an hour with you and thank you so much for your time I love your book um, it's out now, folks. Like, I feel like I've got a bit of an exclusive with the timing <laughs> of this interview, uh, given it's out this week. Uh, all the best with it. Where can we find it around the world? Oh, well, firstly, thank you so much for having me. It's been so nice talking. Um, in Australia, Booktopia is probably the best one. Otherwise, Amazon, um, uh, Book Depository or anywhere, anywhere books are sold. So, Brilliant. Yeah. Aussies, stick to Booktopia. We don't need to give Amazon any more money. Yeah. <laughs> Good, strong, solid Aussie business. Yeah. Oh, um, your, local, your local bookstore. Or your independence, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. wish you all the best with it. I think um, I think it's going to go gangbusters. It's just a big, well, little actually, a, a pocket rocket full of comfort for people who sometimes wrestle with the idea of their own personal influence, overwhelm, paralysis, doomsday, that crazy cocktail we can find ourselves in. I feel like your book helps us finish the cocktail, get up, put our big girl pants on and do something. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram, at Life or one word, or my personal Instagram, uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and, of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year which is about 29.30 US, about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.